This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is time for Counterpoint. We got Omar Khan in the house, VP over at Public Affairs and uh, Hill and Norton Strategies. How you doing? Good to you have miss you. miss me? I did miss you, Aww. kind of. And Melissa Lansman, who I miss more, VP also, Public Affairs, Hill and Nolan Strategies. Good to have you both. <laughs> wow, that's, that's awesome. There Good you to go. know where you stand. <laughs> five teens, um, we were talking about this, and of course it's been a big headline since New Year's. Five teens, you know, they go out for New Year's. We've all been there. You know, you pile in the car with the one that has the license. You have fun. And in this case, it turned tragic. You know, they got into a car accident. We've got, you know... Uh, one 16-year-old dead, another fighting for life. And whatever happens with this, all of their lives have been somehow changed forever. Um, And with all the talk that we have on distracted driving, I think the question will then become, you know, do we need to toughen up the laws? I mean, the, the driver of this card is said to have had a G2 license, which comes with, you know, you can't have that many young people in the car. So I know this conversation will happen, but do we need to toughen up these laws? Well, look, you know, so I, 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 speaking as somebody who grew up at the time when the shift uh, occurred to the G2 license, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's only so much you can do through laws, right? We have pretty tough laws. Like if if you, if you compare to the United States and other jurisdictions, you know, essentially really you have to be 18 or at least 17 to drive to go through the whole process. I think what we need in this, in this country, in this province uh, and in society in general is greater parental responsibility. Um, you know, you you should know where your kids are. You should know what they're doing. And yes, they're not always going to listen to you. But I think, you know, in, in this era of internet and, you know, relying on schools to teach your kids everything, yeah. we, we need to rely on parents to actually take some responsibility over their kids. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I when when you got licensed in our house, first of all, there were laws. Like, my dad would not let all three of his daughters drive together. Right. One of us was not allowed to travel because he said, if something happens, I don't want you all <laughs> disappearing on me. But I do think uh, Omar makes a good yeah. point of if you're going to hand your kids the keys, they have to understand yeah, the responsibility. Look, there is a certain... Uh, all of them... <laughs> Not all of the time did my parents know exactly where I was sure. with uh, with the car, exactly who I who I was with. Yeah. Uh, you know that happens. Kids keep things from uh, from their parents. So while you know parental responsibility is very much um, you know something that we that we should uh, that we should focus on, there also has to be tougher laws. And I know on January first there there are tougher laws on distracted driving. The fines are, are larger. If you ever get caught distracted driving with the G2, you should not ever um, be allowed to get a G or maybe for five years you can't get a G. There is, uh, you know, the fines have to be um, larger. Like it, it's got to go from whatever it is, $650 to $1,000 to, to, you know, to $2,000 to, to actually get people to change their behavior because that's what the fine does. Sure, I, I but, think but it's already zero tolerance if you're for G2 on alcohol anyways. Sure, but, but just having a group of kids in a car together is a distraction. 
you know, because kids are kids. They're laughing. They're yeah. having music. One's taking pictures. One's sending a selfie. They're, they're distractible as it is, and they're, they're excitable. And you're right, Melissa. They're also not honest. I mean, we did all sorts of stuff that we didn't of tell course. our parents about because that's what teens do. So how do you solve this? So maybe you know? it is, you know, maybe it is a new rule where uh, if you're in the graduated or the, the G2 stage in your, uh, uh, in your graduated license journey, uh, that you can't have anybody in the car except for parent, uh, you know, a parent. parent, a licensed parent, a licensed guardian. Uh, well, I, I think it says you, you can only have as many passengers as seatbelts and one of them has to be 25. 25 yeah. or older. Yeah. Uh, look, it's tough because if you're outside a city like Toronto and you got to drive places because the bus isn't isn't there, they're going to drive on, on stretches. But again, uh, it's just a real tragic. Look, uh, if you think about it, mm-hmm. for, for me today, I didn't really do anything that put me um, responsible for anyone's life except for drive here today. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I walked to work. I went to work. I didn't put anybody. In, so when I get in a car... Um, you know, I think about that. I think about, you know, now I have this added responsibility, particularly with people in my car. Yeah. Yeah. It is getting to that point where you just, even when you pull up and you see someone doing it, you're like, yeah, no. That's that's why I don't have a driver's license. Oh, look at you. I don't want to take responsibility. of course not. That is really not surprising (laughs) for um, everyone out there. (laughs) We we learned tonight uh, in in breaking news that 13 Canadians have actually been detained in China since Meng Wanzhou was taken into custody. And this is the first we're hearing about this. Um, We'd known about the three, and now we learned today that two of them, the two men that were taken in, uh, are said to be, you know, the the, the Chinese government has basically already said that they broke the law. Um, But the United States has issued a travel ban today warning that this could happen. Canada has not done that yet. Should we not be following suit, Melissa? You know, I, I think that um, that determination, again, is made by global affairs. I don't see why you wouldn't issue a travel ban, seeing as though there are detentions. I understand it that these things happen in, in, in China quite a bit. Mm. Um, you know, that said, we're also sending mixed messages. We have a parliamentary delegation um, going to China, or at least planning to go to China. So going? you're hearing, so you're hearing from one end. Apparently, they're still going. So you're hearing from one end that you know parliamentarians are going to make the relationship better. Um, you know, yet Canadians are being detained. What do people? What What do you actually think? What do we actually do here? But none, nonetheless, I mean, if the Americans have now taken the step of issuing a travel ban, I mean, I get why you might not do it for diplomatic reasons at the very beginning. But now that the Americans have done it, it we now have the excuse to say, okay, we're following the suit of our American counterpart. Yeah, I, you know, I think if we followed the suit of our American counterparts these days on everything, we'd probably be, you know, uh, going down some dangerous paths from time to time. Uh, I'll say this, you know, we dealt with uh, something similar in terms of uh, when I was in, in the Ontario government in terms of trying to figure out what actions to take on potential trade relations with uh, with Russia mm-hmm. uh, in the immediate aftermath of their invasion of, of Crimea. Um, so unbeknownst to me at the time, I was working, I was chief of staff to the Minister of Economic Development. Unbeknownst to me, the ministry had planned a couple of trade missions without the minister, but just, you know, taking businesses from Ontario to Russia at that time. Uh, and the Canadian-Ukrainian Congress became very upset about this. So, you know, we had a lot of deliberations. Ultimately, we decided to cancel the trade mission. But the debate was, do you let these political issues affect trade 
uh, you know, I, I think I agree with with Melissa. I think we need a China strategy. I would say we probably should send a parliamentary delegation. Well, yeah, you need trade, but you also have to protect Canadians. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and that's exactly what travel warnings are. They're, they're a determination by the government on whether you can provide consular services to Canadians abroad. Mm-hmm. Clearly, with 13 detained Canadians, it's problematic. Yes. And it's problematic on a number of fronts. I think a, a big part of that is the failure of this government to articulate a, a China strategy. And I think that we're now bystanders in a spat between uh, the U.S. and China. And we're just we don't call the shots on this one. No, but clearly, apparently, we're supposed to just read between the lines. Like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, don't go to China. But, uh, you know. <laughs> I'll put it this way. I would not go to China right <laughs> well, now. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't either. But, again, <laughs> at some point, the government might want to articulate, we cannot help you at this point get out. So, maybe don't go. That's the government's responsibility. Yeah. I've, I've actually sat in a seat where I've, I've looked at multiple consular cases um, and when the government's hands are uh, are tied, like they would be in, in yeah. the situation of uh, China, it's it's tough. It's tough oh, to yeah. let Canadians go and not give them a warning about uh, uh, about being mindful about where they are. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head with Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is uh, round two of Counterpoint. we got Omar Khan and Melissa Lantzman facing off on this. Let's talk about this story out of Hamilton. This is a pretty big headline because we hear that 25 women um, may have received faulty treatment for cervical cancer due to a problem with a piece of equipment. The hospital has since apologized, um, but this, uh, you know, this is not a small mistake. We're talking anywhere from 2017 to 2018 uh, that radiation was delivered to the wrong area. The bottom line is, I think one thing for a hospital to apologize, but this would have been going on for quite a while that no one noticed. How do you miss that kind of thing? Where's the oversight? So, you know, uh, I think the first thing we got to do is understand that people are human and humans make mistakes. Uh, And particularly particularly when you combine uh, humans with very complex technology, which is what we have in this case here. I'm, I'm I'm not providing an excuse. I'm just saying that you know, mistakes happen. Now, I think what is important to realize is that our health system over the last number of years has started adopting a lot of the techniques that we see in the airline industry in terms of quality control. And I would hazard to guess that that's probably this one... stuff of, put in under your government? Well, no, uh, no, this isn't political. This is this is the, the people running, you know, at the grassroots, the health system, the, the hospital administrators, uh, the people on the front lines. Uh, but But... I would hazard to guess that those new systems, that a lot of which they have actually been taken from the airline industry, quality control systems, is probably why this was actually found, which shows, okay, yes, this is bad that this is happening, but it's good that it's been it's 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 been found out. It probably wouldn't have been found out ten years ago, uh, to be honest. Uh, so we have to ask ourselves, so we, we found this one case, where else is it happening? And what is Cancer Care Ontario doing? So we have a centralized agency in this province. That, that regulates cancer treatments, Cancer right. Care Ontario. What are they doing? What are they doing to investigate this issue? What are they doing to make sure that this isn't happening elsewhere? What, what, what processes are they putting in place? I think that's really where a lot of the accountability needs to land. Okay, and also to be accountable. We're not talking one case. We're talking 25 women with one of the most serious forms of cancer. This is not something that I would want a phone call saying, oops, we, we might not have yeah, done it absolutely. right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, let's not diminish the, the fact that this shouldn't have happened. It is, uh, it is tragic. The hospital has done... Done 
uh, quite a bit to sort of rectify the the situation. They've put in place care plans, and um, you know they've they've handled the issue um, quite well. But I disagree with you in saying that it's 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 not political, and it's it's not political from from one government to to the last. But are we providing the resources necessary um, for uh, for monitoring of of issues like this? And it's a sort of a warning signal to any future government as our as our health cases get more complex. Mm-hmm. As uh, you know, as more people you know seek you know oncology treatments, um, which is you know which is happening with uh, with an aging population, um, are we ready for it? The checks and balances are, are they all ready? in place? Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, if this is one of those minor mistakes that they made and they're picking it up and no one was adversely affected, which I hope is the case. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. We'll find out. Well, I hope we uh, do. It's yeah. uh, it's 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 not a bad thing to um, you know to come to head to realize um, and to to attack either with with more dollars, with more funding, with with more programs, um, and with better checks and balances, like you said. And and I will say, our our oncology expertise in Ontario is top-notch. I will not dispute that. That, That's Uh, not a dispute. To the point where other countries actually pay our hospitals. Like the the government of Kuwait pays the University Health Network in Toronto to run their cancer center. Right. But I guess the the checks amount, like it's it's not a small mistake. I guess until we hear the stories from these women as to how they've been affected and the expectations they have, we won't really know. And I I do hope there's a transparency behind this because I think at least... Be transparent about it. Let people understand. Yeah, if, if, I, if I was yeah. the Minister of Health, I would have the head of Cancer Care Ontario in my office in the next couple of days and, and yeah. you know, ask for an explanation on what's happening, what's being done to stop this in the future. Yeah. And what, what are we going to do to make sure that it never happens yeah, again? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Canadians uh, walking into some new territory on the issue of right to, to die. And I guess a report came in to the federal Liberals right before Christmas uh, from a group that really kind of studies the science behind the policy making. And the question was raised as to whether or not we should further the legislation and allow minors, those under 18 or those who are mentally ill uh, to end their life with the help of a doctor. And look, I have no issue with what someone does with their own body. I feel like it's my choice what I want to do with my body. I am, however, not comfortable when someone else would be making a decision. I don't feel comfortable that an 18, anyone under 18 should be making these decisions and their parents should be making it for them. I'm not comfortable with mentally ill people making this decision. No, we don't let people under 18 buy alcohol right. or, uh, you know, or, or pot in this province. Right. I don't see how we can uh, how we can ever have a conversation about changing the legislation to have them uh, make a decision like that. Look, I'm, I'm, I don't have the typical conservative view on this. I agree with right to die legislation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I hope to never be in a place um, where I use it or or where anybody in my family uses it. But in principle, I do agree with it. I think it's fine as it is. Yeah. But the slippery slope, this is the slippery slope, the creep that people were concerned about. So, no, because so the, what the legislation did. So, first of all, they, they, they toured the country. They, they consulted with all provinces. I was part of those consultations. They consulted with patient groups. Uh, and, and they came out with a legislation that was, you know, for a lot of people, fairly uh, uh, conservative in its approach to this issue, which I right. think is appropriate, given, given 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 the gravity of what we're dealing with. But what they did do is they built in a five-year legislative review. Uh, so after five years... Which uh, we're at the two-year mark. Yeah, yeah so th- three years from now, uh, whatever government is in place, we'll have to do another consultation to see, are we okay where, where it's at right now? Should we expand it, you know, in certain areas? Should we not? 
But that's all part of, you know, normal legislative review processes. And I, I think the government was actually smart to build it in uh, to this legislation because, you, you know, these are things that society does evolve. You learn new things. I don't think minors should be able to do this on their own. But perhaps the, the legislation can be tweaked in other ways, uh, you know, three, three and a half years from now. One of the core tenets of this legislation is that you have to have the mental capacity yeah. to do this, right? Well, then I, I don't yeah. see how any legislative review right. can put that into question. I, I think that goes beyond the scope of what a legislative yeah. review uh, looks like in this case. I, I, I also think in terms of, of minors, we don't let minors do anything. Right. I but, think yeah. it's highly unlikely that any government ever will allow minors to initiate this on their own. I sure hope not. I sure hope not. Um, I did want to quickly touch up on this one because I did catch this headline uh, late last night. But, you know, for years and years and years, we were told how much the public sector, how terrible they were treated under the Harper government. I mean, we this was like a massive battle that Stephen Harper hated the public sector and the public sector hated uh, him. Apparently, we're learning, yeah, not so much, because according to a report which was done by a group that looks into how the public sector is uh, treated. When they came to job satisfaction among federal bureaucrats, apparently under the Harper time, it actually was quite positive. You know, so so they're saying a lot of the narrative around the public sector hating Stephen Harper and Stephen Harper hate was actually manufactured. I, I, you know, I, I bet you a lot of it, some of it anyways, was exaggerated. I think what people do need to understand is there's about 100,000 federal public civil servants, right? Maybe 2% of them will ever have any interaction with cabinet ministers or political staff. So I think what it shows is uh, that federal public servants like their jobs. I think they, they have good job security. I think they, they believe for the most part in what they're doing. I don't think, you know, any of these surveys, uh, when you're when you're surveying 100,000 people, I don't think it, you'll get an accurate read on perhaps what the, the more senior levels felt about the Harper government at the time. Those would have been the ones who would have had direct access to him. Right. In other words, a, a few squeaky wheels got an awful lot of oil and, and, and were able to come up yeah, with a... and a lot of attention. Yeah. Look, this, may, this story makes me happy as, as a senior staffer in uh, in the past federal in the in the Harper government, um, our interactions and the senior level staff in, in in my office's interactions with the public service were always good. We're always respectful, uh, and they provided advice, and that advice was either taken or not taken. Um, in terms of job satisfaction, the the government in power has so little to do with uh, your your average sort of federal public servant. It's about, you know, whether you like your manager, whether you think you're going to get a raise, whether you think you're going to have upward mobility in your career. Albeit, Those I was surprised to hear that, that according to, to the report, Harper actually, any memo, anything that was brought to him, he was very hands-on and actually read everything that was I'm brought sure to him. And if you've ever spent five minutes with him, you would know that that's absolutely true. And I hope that is the case with all governments in Canada right now. <laughs> well, I don't think it is. But nonetheless, okay, well, rumor dismissed on that one. Guys, thank you. Got to leave it there. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Omar, Melissa, always a pleasure. On point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.